0: Okay, we're going to be in Luke chapter 16 today, and we're going to be looking at some important aspects on stewardship. And I actually titled this message, A Servant of All Requires Stewardship of All. You know, but stewardship, it goes beyond one or two things, because as soon as as one becomes of age, they become a steward of things, and and a steward of their own life. Uh, Stewardship was one of the oldest things that was required of man and mankind after you know, Adam, the first person on uh, in creation on earth here, was the first man, and he was also the first steward on earth. Uh, he was required and appointed to tend to the Garden of Eden. Uh, he was required to name all of the animals of God's creation. And then he was given a wife in which he was to be a steward of all those things. You know, stewardship, it goes beyond church things as well. You know, the budgets and the programs and so on. But biblical stewardship is a broad picture with principles Uh, we have principles of ownership and with that comes principles of responsibility principles of accountability and then we also have principles of of rewards with it too and and with the principles in that of ownership we have to realize that God is the owner we are the stewards And, and whenever I hear a pastor or a leader call a church their church I think to myself that, well, you you better enjoy it while you have it, because its doors are going to eventually close, and rightfully so, if they're claiming it to be theirs. If there is a church, if there's a chapel, or if there's a ministry in the title, that means that human ownership is prohibited. Because the the owner has the rights, but the steward has the responsibility. and, And are called to tend to God's fields. See, I remember when I got my driver's license, it was always said that, you know, having a driver's license is a privilege and it's not a right. You know, you mess up bad enough, your license is taken from you. If you drive well and safe, then all will remain well with you. But, but again, the picture is broad because we are, we are even stewards of our own bodies. And one of my pastor teachers uh, always said that our, our time of death is always appointed. And I kind of chuckled because he said, many are worrying about preserving ourselves to stay here on earth, yet we say we can't wait to get to heaven, so let's pig out. <laughs> and I did always laugh about that. And he's 100% right because I've heard of health fanatics you know, dying on a running track while they're jogging at 30 years old in their prime. But quality of life is important. Why? Because the Bible tells us to be well in health. And you can see that when you read Proverbs, uh, Daniel. You can even see that in the very last thing said in the book of Third John. And if I can say anything about that, what did the ultimate role model in Christ Jesus do in his time with us on earth in that, in that aspect? You know, it's, uh, obtaining a master's degree in health or, or theology or divinity or, or business management can never make us a master. But, mastering the life of the Master, Christ Jesus, will be our best bet. So, what I want to do is I want to take, take this time in chapter 16. As we continue to read, we're going to be looking at what the Lord has to say. Because, again, these last few chapters that we've been reading are, are strictly the words of Christ. Chapter 15 uh, was about... chapter 16 of what we're in today, is 98% strictly the words of Christ. The only words that were not written down in the words of Christ was verse 14. And we're looking at 31 verses, so 30 verses we're going to be observing today are strictly that of the words of Christ that Luke recorded. And again... The importance of paying attention to his words is what's vital. So let's go ahead and uh, take a look here in Luke chapter 16, and I'm going to start us off in verse 1 through 8. And it starts off with with the parable of an unjust steward. And it says, He also said to his disciples, there was a certain rich man who had a steward. and And an accusation was brought to him that this man was wasting his goods. So he called him and said to him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your stewardship, for you can no longer be steward. And then the steward said within himself, What shall I do? For my master is taking the stewardship away from me. I cannot dig, and I am ashamed to beg. I have resolved what to do, that when I am put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. So he called every one of his masters, debtors, to him, and said to the first, How much do you owe my master? And he said, A hundred measures of oil. And he said to him, Take your bill and sit down quickly and write fifty. And then he said to another, How much do you owe? So he said, A hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, Take your bill and write eighty. So the master commended the unjust steward because he had dealt shrewdly. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. You know, the, the unjust stewards we're, we're looking at, which would be a, uh, would be like a manager of sorts, a manager of a house, a business, or even an, uh, an accountant even. A steward is an overseer of whatever God has given them. It could be money, job, and family. But the Lord is using money in this case, which can be the ultimate test of stewardship and the lordship of Christ. You know, I, I've always said, observe that in the church. When the leaders of the church treat the finances as delicately then they, uh, as they do their own finances, then you have some good stewards among you in your church or your business. you know. But Jesus was telling us the parable of the bad. Uh, the shrewd steward and the shrewd master. Two peas of the same pod. Uh, the steward was doing business and ripping off the owner while preparing a financial setup and maybe a position for him elsewhere. Now, there was an interesting term used in that of... of uh, You've probably heard it before, honor amongst thieves. It was a term that states that even amongst the corrupt, there is honor or integrity. Or maybe an ounce of honor or integrity. And the steward was making friends, you know, uh, versus those who burn bridges everywhere they go. Uh, he didn't think of certain consequences of his actions, and I, and I cannot dig which says physical labor was out of the question. And, and begging was not something he could do, as he, uh, he, he was a prideful man in his success. And considering there was no social services, then he would have absolutely no choice. Uh, the, the master, though angry about his actions, he actually gives him praise or credit for his slick ways. Uh, the Lord presents it as a, as a lose-lose is what he did. Is there no integrity that he sees? Uh, Many praise the ways of business savvy people. And the Lord does not see good on either of those sides. See, we see someone like that and we compliment how sharp they are. And what's funny is typically people who are sharp outside of godly and biblical contents are the first ones to cut you. And the Word of God is sharper than any double edged sword. And that's the sharpness where iron sharpens iron. See, the Lord is pointing out these things to prevent us from becoming that. You know, we're reminded that though we are in the world, we are not to be of it. We're not to take that if you, cannot, if you can't beat them, join them attitude. But in the truth of the matter, I've always said before that you, you can beat them by not joining them. That's something I learned a long time ago. I've heard that term before. Yeah, if you can't beat them, join them. Well, no, that's not true. You beat them by not joining them, especially if they're doing something wrong because bad company corrupts good character. And people bring their leaven into the lives of other people and they spread the diseases in their businesses and their households. And therefore, the Lord can never be pleased with such things. Now, let's continue to see what he says here in verses 9 to 13. He says, And I say to you, Make friends for yourselves by unrighteousness, mammon, that when you fall, they may receive you into an everlasting home. He who is faithful in what, he, what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is also unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the righteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You know, we, we see this such an emphasis on money and stewardship in this, because money has the power to take God's place in people who have not made God number one. And when God is not first, then, then that means that he has a rival. And a lot of times, money is typically that rival. I've seen that rival being a lot of times in other people. You know, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a spouse, a, a friend, or whatever the case may be, that people fall in love with more than they do God. But whatever the case may be, when God is not number one, he has a rival. And I've said before, I've read the whole Bible and I've taught just about the whole Bible and I can already tell you that God has never lost a battle, battle and nor will he. I, I heard that wealth promises a lot, but it performs nothing. It, it has the ability to keep people from God, which keeps people from eternity. And, and I've said before that there's nothing wrong with having money, but when the money has you, it's a bad thing. There's nothing wrong with making money as long as it doesn't make you. And we have to make or earn money, yes. But we're instructed to use what we have wisely. And I've always appreciated what the Lord said in that, uh, of the ability to be faithful with with the little. Because if you can be faithful with little, then you can be faithful with much. But what is little or much in our eyes? That's the the question, right? A big house, a big family, maybe uh, having or, or being a part of a big church. Well, what is that in God's eyes? There is no big church, big family, or big house. It's His church. It's His family. It's His house. And when it's His, it should be the most important thing to us. It should be huge to us, no matter what the size. I want to quote a gentleman by the name of Leonard Ravenhill. He was an English evangelist who is with the Lord now. He passed away in 1994, I believe. And he said that, I'd rather have 10 people that want God than 10,000 people who want to play church. I want to see the glory of God come so our young people don't have to be told to go to church. They actually desire to go. And it's funny to people because money is practically everything. Everything. But to Christ, it was, the, it, it was of the least of things. He's the one who said that gold has no worth in heaven because streets are paved with gold. You know, gold over there is nothing more than like asphalt or gravel in heaven <laughs> as it would be here. You know, to us, we would, we would be out there jackhammering if the streets were made of gold here. We don't do that with asphalt. See, because gold to the Lord was no different than that of asphalt is here to us. But here is where it gets interesting. You you cannot serve God and mammon. Okay, mammon was the god of money and success in in, in the Bible. Many people worship it and still do. They just don't know it as mammon. But I've heard people say, well, you can serve money just as long as you don't love it. I've heard people say that. And it's interesting because Christ himself said that you cannot serve it. And if we're serving something or someone, it's because we have a love or a passion for what we serve. And I've always kind of cracked up because some people want to find a loophole to remain in their reasoning for serving mammon or money. But, see, no amount of money can bring true happiness, health, or definitely not even eternal life. That will never happen. Jesus said it's money and wealth that can make it harder for the rich to enter into the kingdom of God pretty interesting when he says that you know that uh that it's easier for the camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for the rich man to make it into the into the kingdom and it's unfortunate because when you look at the uh when you look at people who've obtained wealth and what it's done for them he wasn't kidding now as we continue in verse 14 you know the lord (laughs) he he always hits those touchy subjects you know and uh but he does, it, he does it in the best fashion we could ever read. Let's take a look here at what he says in verses 14 to 18. And it says, Now the, the Pharisees, who were the lovers of money, also heard all these things, and they derided him. And he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves before men. But God knows your hearts, for what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. The law, the law and the prophets were until John since that time, the kingdom of God has been preached, and everyone is pressing into him. And it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one little of the law to fall. Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced from her husband commits adultery. And like I said, this is the touchy subject, I'm sure, for many, because the Lord hit the nail on the head. In verse 15, you are those who justify yourselves before man. You know, these Pharisees were something. Uh, They were the, the founding fathers of the prosperity theology we see today, it looks like. If you were wealthy, then that meant that you were in God's approval or God's favor. That's what they believed. Well, if that were true, then why were the disciples not living in mansions overlooking the Mediterranean Sea you know God blesses who he wants to because he knows the heart of man and of everyone you know why was the apostle Paul a once respected and astounded Pharisee educated beyond his peers laboring as a tent maker to support himself was he not a true follower of God well the Pharisees would have looked at him as an apostate but no he was, he, was everything, he was everything but that. He, was, he, he became a, 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 one of the strongest followers of the Lord ever. They were allowing the blasphemy of divorce for their own ridiculous reasons and remarrying. And that angered God in a major way. You know, you can look at the book of Malachi, who was the last prophet to give a prophecy until John the Baptist. That was 400 years later. And at this time, the priests, they were leaving their wives and going for younger women. And, and we see that today still. You know, men and women, for and most of the time it's for worldly and carnal reasons. But nowadays, you know, divorce runs rampant and it's over anything nowadays. Uh, I've counseled couples and individuals. And, and it can be as simple as I'm just not happy anymore. And then all the other reasons seem to follow. And, and then another marriage comes and, and, and now there's baggage from both ends brought into the new relationship. And there's some that may say, well, it didn't happen to me. Well, the Lord himself just gave the example in verse 18. Maybe it didn't happen to you yet. But the Pharisees as well, as many today, have forgotten that marriage was the very first institution that God ever created. It was the first covenant formed on earth between three. Who is that three? Husband, wife, and God. And I, I talked to a gentleman who was a, um, he was a volunteer counselor in a Christian organization. And he was recently divorced. And, and I asked if his ex-wife was a believer. And he says, yeah, very much. She was a very strong one. Well, I hate to say that she wasn't. She became an apostate, a, a rebellion of, of the Lord. You know, someone may say that I'm judging well, in truth be told, I'm not. God's going to do that. She divorced outside of God's word. And, and adultery was the exception. But it wasn't a command. It was an option. And I asked, I asked how her life has been since. And he says everything, everything has been systematically falling apart in her life. And I'm not saying this to provoke. But I am saying this to prevent when a divorce happens you have departed from God's covenant and then his hand will be removed and then you are susceptible to calamity and we allow when we make that choice we allow a human judge a mere man or a woman in a robe that comes off at the end of the day to help you break a covenant that God made see our God he never steps off from the throne nor does his robe come off or does it ever retire and again, not to persecute but to protect is what the goal is. We said, I do, when we were asked for richer or for poor, sickness and health, better or worse, until death do us part to one another and God. We say, I do, and then later on we say, I won't. And this is a downfall to society because children will see it as acceptable. And it will either follow your example or they will despise you for it in the legacy that was left. And those are just some examples. See, may God help us as we continue. Because again, when we look at these things, divorce has been happening since biblical time. God hates it. And it's become more and more rampant here in the United States especially, where I live. Certain states are a little worse than others. And if you look at the statistics of certain areas, there there seems to be a much higher rate depending on where you live. It's very interesting, too, that if you look at countries like India, where a lot of times uh, arranged marriages were happened, But divorce is absolutely out of the question. Even though it was an arranged marriage between them, I'm not condoning it whatsoever, but I'm using that as an example of the fact that marriage is just... I mean, divorce is just out of the question. Even though it's within an arranged marriage. I've heard uh, conversations between those people, and they've asked him, you know, is there ever any thought of such? And they were like, no, it is absolutely out of the question. So it's interesting how we make a covenant... And yet we say I won't after we've said I do. But yet an arranged marriage between two people on the other side of the world who don't love one another, don't know each other, take on holy matrimony, <laughs> and, and they refuse the divorce because of the moral ethics. Isn't it strange what's happened? You know, Billy Graham, we just lost him recently as we're in March of 2018. He died a couple weeks ago here in, in February. And Billy Graham said something profound. He said, how can, I, how can I fault somebody not coming to God when they're watching Christian marriages end in divorce? And how true that is. Which is unfortunately just one of many things that is being observed in this world. Let's continue to see what else is happening here. Because again, the Lord... The Lord gives us uh, such riches here in what he's saying. In verse 19 to 23, says, There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared uh, sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate. He was desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. In being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. Now Jesus kind of switches gears as he tells the story of Lazarus and the rich man. See, it's interesting how Lazarus' uh, name was mentioned, but the rich man's name was never mentioned. He had a name while alive, but it was it was irrelevant. See, once we're out of God's presence, your name will not matter unless it was used as, as an example of how not to be or live while you are on earth. We don't want to be in that example of the nameless rich man. This was Hades. This was the holding place of torment or paradise, which was the spiritual realm in the middle of the earth, as the Lord made known uh, when He said that he would, he would descend to the center of the earth for three days and three nights. This was as, uh, after his, uh, his death on the cross. And that was to lead the way from Hades on, on the paradise side to heaven. See, there was a separation, kind of like a border that could be seen but not crossed. Uh, the rich man could see Lazarus being comforted, which was a form of double torture, mentally and emotionally. Uh, but as we have seen in the scriptures, that even in hell someone's five senses are still with them the senses are sight, hearing, feeling uh, smelling and thinking but you see more comes in the stories. we continue on in verse 24, let's see what he says and then he cried and said, Father Abraham have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame but Abraham said, Son remember that in your lifetime you received your good things and likewise Lazarus evil things But now he is comforted, and you are tormented. And besides all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that those who want to pass from here to to you cannot, nor can those from, from there pass to us. And then he said, I beg you, therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said to him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rises from the dead. And it's interesting that the rich man asked that Lazarus would bring a drop of water to him, considering that Lazarus would be ignored uh, while the rich man would pass by him as he was suffering outside of his house while they were alive. See, the message for those who have not come to the Lord is being reminded that once you're gone in eternity, that's it. The prophets of the Old Testament and Moses warned them of the dangers, and many disregarded them in the laws in the care of other people. But you see, did the rich man go to the side of torment because he was rich? No. He, 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 he would have gone to heaven because he helped... Would he have gone to heaven because he helped the poor? No. Because many humanitarians, many philanthropists, are not in heaven. He was in hell because his wealth was obviously his God. God the Creator was not his child by the rich man's choice. The rich man was the example of one with a vice, one who fell into a pit and became acclimated to darkness, set in his ways and, and would not see through the eyes of the Lord. If this is being heard for the first time, then you heard, the very first, you, heard you heard the very words of Christ, telling the story as Luke chapter 16 is 98 99 percent, the words of Christ. I'm not talking about hell. He is. I'm not talking about the rich and the poor people. He is. I'm not talking about heaven. He is, which is why we should be ta- uh, taking heed to his words. But as we take heed of his words, you know, may we take hold of his heart because he wants your heart. You know, here is how you can meet him halfway. You accept the invitation and then he's in your presence. He wants every single person. He wanted the rich man whose name was unmentioned. But the rich man didn't want him. The rich man was happy with what he had. He had a vice. He had everything he wanted. He had his God. He had mammon. And and without God, without the Lord, what do we have? we have some temporary fixings in life. Some people don't last very long, as I mentioned to you earlier about the stewardship of health and the stewardship of all things. See, God does say time's up to us. But we want to remember that, again, it's always His time. It's His body. It's His body. It's His house. It's His money. And when you dedicate it to Him, He does the rest... I will never forget. As I end this, I will never forget what one of the again. I have about five or six pastor teachers that I have learned from over the years, and I was baptized by a very uh, by a very well loved and known pastor. And I'll never forget what he said when uh, his church started to grow. He'd been pastoring for fifty some years. And his church began to grow quite a bit real quick, and he got a little scared. And he said during his prayer time, he says, Lord, what am I going to do? It's, it's getting really big really fast. What am I supposed to do here? And he says, well, during prayer he was reminded, he said, whose church is it? And he says, it's yours, Lord. And he says, what are you worried about then? <laughs> and he says, Father, thank you. And from there on, the church continued to grow and it continued to thrive because it belonged to the Lord. Do you want to belong to the Lord? Do you want to, do you want to make sure that you have a place to go when it's all said and done of comfort and love and, and, and the most astounding joy you'll ever have? See, a lot of people don't believe it. Well, and that's a shame. But I'm praying that if you've heard this, Maybe you've heard this for the first time. The Holy Spirit is speaking to you. And that was the words of Christ. had nothing to do with me. I want to give you the invitation as He he calls you to receive Him as Lord and Savior and as Father. You can go ahead and you can say this prayer with me and if you say this prayer in truth you will be brought in as a child of God. But again, the course must be stayed. So I want to give you the invitation right now as we speak to say this prayer after me. Dear God, please forgive me, Lord. Forgive me of all of my sins. I confess to you, Lord, that I am a sinner, Lord. And I ask of you, Lord, to receive me. As I receive you into my heart, Lord, as my Father, my Lord, and my Savior. I want to thank you for dying for my sins, Lord. I want to thank you for having me, Lord. I want to thank you for choosing me. as Lord, as I now choose you to enter in my heart, Lord, that I may be with you one day. For Father, I love you, and I pray you, in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, again, I'm just so glad that... Uh, that we have this opportunity while we're here to seek Him and may we always continue to to take a look at Him and, and, and the things that He has to say because what He has to say is worth more than gold so maybe you follow Him and may you continue to walk with Him because He's watching over us and if you've said this prayer you are now His so may you hold on to His hand tightly may God bless you